thought at some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall on one of these felled trees and I'm going to impale myself and that's it. I know that if people go and you appreciate something, you're going to want to conserve it. I had way more energy for weeks on end because I was inspired by where I was going. It's not knowing something that sort of causes us to be afraid or what have you. It's like, oh, this is crazy. <laughs> People are actually buying these things. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Sign Out podcast. Really excited to bring more guests to you. Um, more interesting stories of people pursuing their passion, um, turning those into businesses in this case. So today I want to introduce you to Kansas Sarton, who is the owner of Pack Mule. Kansas, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, it's a big time. Glad you could make it. Um, if you don't know what Pack Mule is, you should look that up on the internet. But he makes an incredible hitch carrier that goes on the back of your truck. Um, he's local out of Houston here. And I just thought, what a cool story about how he came up with this idea and the type of person he is that led him to want to be um, in this industry, creating something for the outdoors, for adventure, um, something that at Sign Out we really like to talk about is the adventure and signing out. In, in this case, um, another one of my podcast interviewers, if you go back a couple of episodes to Frank Ledwell, um, the publisher of Outdoor by Four, he introduced me to Kansas um, as somebody who has a really cool story and thought that uh, we would uh, want to get together and do this podcast. So I was excited when Frank um, connected us and allowed us to meet over email and here in person so we can you know, document what's going on with Pack Mule and just what a cool brand it is. So Kansas, um, just kind of starting out, you know, just a little background on, you know, if somebody's coming up to you and want to know who you are, you know, who are you? <laughs> uh, who is the man behind the yeah. mask? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I was born and raised in Houston and um, always had an interest in, in being outdoors. Um, but in Houston doesn't lead itself to that so much unless you you know, have family or friends that have some sort of a ranch or some place to get away to. And so growing up, I had a friend um, whose family had a beach house, and we spent a lot of time on the beach, and I love the coast. That salt air sort of just gets in your blood, you know. Um, but on the ranching and hunting side, uh, that was something I always sort of longed for as a kid, but I just didn't have an introduction to it until I was probably in high school. Uh, my closest friend, uh, his family had a big lease in South Texas and his dad started taking us and his dad has sort of become my father figure mentor. And, and, um, and so he and I will just go hunting and fishing all the time. But, um, it's been interesting, you know, if you think back early high school when I was sort of still wanting to do these things to now the progression of what you learn and how you take those, uh, interests and energies and, and develop them into sort of a life passion. And then, instill right. that into your kids it's it's been a really fun process um i don't know if that says who i am necessarily but that's that's sort of uh the the short start of it i, I think it's a great start i mean if you're from texas and you're into hunting and you hear the word south texas the opportunity to go there that's a great place to be um being on the coast and wanting to go over there and fish in the bay or you know fish out in the gulf there there are some great opportunities but you it's it's not in your back door, so you have to actually seek it out. Right, yeah. And it definitely takes it. travel. Right. I always heard that Houston's a great place to raise a family and make a living, but you've got to have a way to get out of town. And it, and I totally believe that at this point in my life, for sure. You know? That's why I live on the west side. I can just escape a little quicker to <laughs> that right. country. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I, and I have a similar background, too, where I grew up um, with my dad actually took me hunting 
and fishing. And I had a long period where I didn't have that opportunity. And then I was able to get back into it. And I'm very fortunate that I have a place to go. Now I have a friend's ranch yeah. that I get to go to and um, hang out and do some fun stuff there. So I really enjoy the adventure side as well. So, you, you know, you have a background hunting and fishing. You're still pretty active in it. Just, oh, yeah. you know, looking in your Instagram, I can tell that it's still a passion yeah. for raising your kids and yeah. um, having them understand that. But at some point, you know, you have to get a job. Yeah. You got to start making some money and get a living. That's right. But you have this idea, obviously, at some point. What was this? Yeah. How did this come about that, you know, because this company's not real old, right? Right. Yeah, we're two and a half years old. Two and a half years old. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it really sort of started in college. Um, I was a wildlife biology and environmental management kind of major. Um, got kicked out of wildlife biology because uh, organic chemistry, too, was just kicking my butt. They were like, we're going to pass you, but you need to do something else. I'm like, it's wildlife biology. Like, why organic? Any event. So I went into environmental um, wildlife management, and I thought, well, instead of being a wildlife biologist, I'll go be a conservation manager of some sort, you know, prairie, glass, prairie grass restorations or wetlands or something like, something to that degree. And um, then you graduate, and you're applying, and all the state agencies tell you, you know, you're going to have to wait in line for a while because there's not a lot of these jobs, and people don't really job jump there's not a lot of opportunities for promotion. So they sort of get hired and then die in this role. So go do something else. And, um, um, and a quick segue back is one of my electives I took was a welding class. And so, um, I worked at a, at a summer camp each summer when I was in, um, in school, uh, called Laity Lodge Youth Camp, which is out in the Hill Country. It's an HEB foundation camp. I know that camp. I have some friends that send their kids there now. Yeah. 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 It's a great spot. And, um, we had a barn and, and um, we had a welder and a bunch of stuff out there. And so at some point I was, you know, an activities director and I didn't have a cabin of kids at night. And so at nine o'clock or whatever, when stuff was done, I'd go over and tinker in the shop for an hour just to practice welding. And welding something, you can take a class on it, but if you're not constantly doing it and practicing, you're not really going to get it. And um, I had a SUV at the time and I thought, you know, I'm going to build this hitch carrier for the back of it. And so it was kind of my summer project while I was out there one summer and it was steel. It was huge because I didn't like anything that was on the market. They're all small and wobbly and, um, and you know, just, I wanted to be able to back this thing into a tree and not worry about it. And it was right. kind of that deal. As a result, it also weighed, you know, like 90 pounds or something. And as a college student, that's not so much a big deal. You just kind of grunt and throw it in the hitch. And, um, it, but I kept it for a long time. And so it was probably six years ago, or so ago, which would have been, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 years of owning this thing that, um, uh, got older. My back was going out. I had a couple little kids running around all the time and, um, and we were using it to load up and try to get out. But, um, uh, I had a bungee cord on the end of it, which I've always disliked, you know, especially in the Texas heat, the bungee the rubbers stretch out and they pop and, and, um, break easy all that sort yeah. of stuff yeah and uh but the hook was hanging off the end of the of that hitch carrier at the time my daughter cut her forehead on it and after we figured out that process i pulled the the hitch carrier off the hitch and set it on my foot and um you know a bunch of expletives after that and then it was sort of that precipice moment of there's got to be a better way and so that we had two kids and a third on the way and we had a dog and all this stuff and so 
uh, I think it was two weeks later or something, I was on my boat uh, chasing some redfish, holding on to the windshield grab rail. And, you know, on coastal boats, everything's aluminum. You've got towers and pat casting platforms and all these different things. And it was that moment, you know, I'd had two weeks earlier this experience, there's got to be a better way. And then this moment, and I said, you know, curved aluminum, right? You have no hard edges. Um, it's never going to rust. It's lightweight. Um, all of these great things. And so um, figured somebody had done it already. I'd really just start looking online, trying to find one to buy it. Nobody had. So I laid some cardboard out and, and sort of drew it. And then we took it over to a shop. I don't, I, I do weld aluminum now, but back then I, I didn't have that skill. That's a special skill. Special skill for yeah. sure. And, um, and so I found a shop that could help me build this thing exactly the way I wanted it, which is basically two Yeti coolers side by side, 65 quarts. I want to be able to open the back end of my Suburban so I get my dog in and out of the back of the kennel without having to unload everything. Um, and uh, that was kind of the major design piece. Since I had one vehicle, I had sort of a custom anti-wobble connection that was fit for that one vehicle, but not universal. Um, and the first trip to the field, people stopped me like, hey, where'd you get that? I got to have that. that. thing's awesome. And it was this continuation of, of um, people asking, where did you get it? That I finally realized, all right, there are other people out here that want something new, you know, something that's actually good that'll hang off the back and something that's lighter weight. And um, so I spent some time, you know, doing the market research or whatever else. Will people pay what it's going to cost to build this thing? And and in general, people, yes, they will pay for quality gear if it's really quality gear. And so um, so we sort of kicked it off to see what would happen. And, and you know, you'd sell one a month or something because we weren't we – we're just making it for sale. It was just on a website, no ads or anything. and. You'd get an email like, "Hey, you sold one." It's like, "Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> People are actually buying these things." Uh, but you know, the whole the the living in the city and the wanting to get out of town and all these things that we talk about as I was as I was putting the design together when it was just for myself, it was how do we make it easy to load and go? Right? How do we how do we on a Friday at the end of the day, you're tired from the work week, you'd really kind of just like to stay at home and watch the Yellowstone episodes, you know, on Amazon or whatever it is and, and, and catch up on some sleep in the morning and, and just knock around and not do much. Um, the thought of loading all your stuff and playing Tetris with your gear and then getting on the highway and driving somewhere and knowing you're not going to get sleep because you're going to be at the beach or at a ranch or something. You're going to stay up late. You're going to get up early. Um, it can be an overwhelming feeling but I'd found time after time that if I went and did that, I had way more energy for weeks on end because I was inspired by where I was going than, um, than the counter of saying, well, I'm going to get extra sleep this weekend and that'll be good for me. And, and so um, if it's easy to strap it down and easy to access everything while you're on the road or in the field, then it made it easier for us to go. It was kind of a no-brainer. And, um, and people in using our pack mules have found that that's true for them too. Hey, we're, we're using this thing a lot more than we ever thought. It's easier to access everything, easier to, to load it in. It's sometimes it even seems like it's silly. I'm just going to put one cooler on the back, but even just accessing the contents of the cooler makes it easier. And so, I, I mean, not, there's a, a Jeep, a silver Jeep I see on Instagram. That's, you know, out there a lot. Yeah. Using it. And that car has no space on the inside to store stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the way you described it and the way it's working, it sounds it's much easier if you can still open the back for some of it, if you don't have it too stacked for sure. high, 
that well yeah i just throw it on there and leave it on there that's right yeah i mean i have an old hitch carrier from an explorer sitting out in the garage i obviously don't have that car anymore but i could put it on my truck if i wanted to instead it's just a boat anchor right now yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's so heavy to try to pick up and move for sure and then the wobble is so bad that i'm like it might i feel like it's just going to tip over <laughs> so i think that's great that, that you have this that you've thought those things through and you're like okay this product is actually going to be secure and it's easy to get on I'm, yeah it, it makes it easier and even for me driving a truck and having three kids if i want to go camping in the state park for two days I fill my truck up with yeah. stuff. Yeah. And if you're trying to carry wood, well, now I'm kind of out of room. Right. So having that hitch carrier is a lot of extra space. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting, the truck piece of it, because we'll be at a trade show and people say, oh, I got a truck. I don't need one of those. And if you put a toolbox in the bed of your truck and one dog kennel, you're pretty much out of space. Right. You could put a couple bags and then you're, you're, you're done. Um, and it's interesting, the pack mule is actually – half the size of a five and a half foot pickup bed, which is crazy to think about. It's a lot of space. It's 12 square feet. And so, um, you know, when you build one of these things or when you put one of these things on your vehicle, it's about um, adding extra, uh, you know, cargo capacity. So why not make it as big as possible was kind of the, was kind of the thought there. And you've got two different designs. Yeah. Yeah. we have, we have actually a third one um, that we released in the fall, uh, which is our Ridgeline model. But, yeah, the original is um, uh, the taller rail that you see most of the pictures on if you're if you're looking for one online. Uh, the the Swayback model was a design that came out of using Jeeps. You know, I've, I've got an old 80 CJ5, and um, uh, growing up when I was younger, uh, my dad had an older Jeep, and we've got a JK, and... Um, it's that thing. There's no cargo space in a Jeep, um, but there's a clearance issue above the hitch between the spare tire and the hitch. And so most people put a big extension on the back, and then you can put you know, a carrier that's got taller rails or something on the back. But the problem is you have to take the carrier off if you want to swing that tire open to get to the cargo area. So we made ours specific with a lower rail. It's still got enough of a lip that nothing's going to just slide off the end, but um, it's a low enough rail to slide underneath the spare tire. Um, so if you get somewhere and you want to take the coolers off and then swing the spare tire open, you don't have to also take the pack mule out. Um, and I really just tell people orient your stuff and get it from the back seat. Just fold the back seat down and grab your stuff instead of taking anything off the back. Cause once you got your coolers and stuff on there, just leave them. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a simpler program, I think. And then our Ridgeline model was just, uh, purely customers that already owned a pack mule say, man, I really would love to use this on my like Polaris Ranger or my Kawasaki Mule or Can-Am. But the hitches are so low on the ground for those. They're only, you know, eight inches off the ground or something. Once you put a pack mule on the back, you had no ground clearance, and they were wider than these different um, power sports products. And so we made it a little bit narrower, put an eight-inch rise in it um, to give it some extra ground clearance. And then, honestly, um, uh, I put it on the back of a Suburban and was going to take it down to the lease to go. Some of my lease partners have UTVs to test it and make sure everything was good. And I went to shut the hatch on the Suburban, and the hatch hit the the um, basket just a little bit. I said, "Well, nope. Let's cut this off. Let's change the whole placement. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna sell this thing, and somebody wants to put it on their SUV, they should be able to open their hatch too. So it's actually kind of got a universal appeal to it now. So if you've got a Forerunner or any t- type of a lift gate, you can still raise that lift gate." 
you've got extra ground clearance departure angle if you're an off-road type vehicle and you're doing trails and you just are going through a bunch of ditches and it'll work on most jeeps also um, if you're doing trail stuff on a jeep the one downside on the jeep course is now that it's up above the spare tire you can't open the spare tire so um yeah it's fun we're working on some other stuff and and trying to see what else makes sense so just doing some research myself i think one thing that comes to my mind is the quality mm -hmm. of what you're building so talk about the importance of that of having you know in a society where things are easily dispensed of where cheap things are purchased and thrown away or you know or they just don't last talk about the importance of the quality in the product and also how that relates to conservation sure as well we um uh when i was growing up i paid my way through college and so as i was getting introduced to the hunting and fishing deal you realize quick that you know, equipment's pretty expensive and you can always buy inexpensive stuff. And my first duck hunt, I bought a pair of, um, waders from Academy. I think they were Hodgman brand, which would normally be fine for a myriad of things that you're trying to do. I think I paid 57 bucks or something for them. And I went down to Sargent, Texas, and we got up at two 30 in the morning or maybe three and it's 37 degrees and a 25 mile an hour wind and we get on this duck boat and we drive down the intercoastal to a levee and then we march it seemed like a mile but it was probably only two or three hundred yards through a bog my feet are slipping out of the boots because they're not lace-up boots they're slide on and i'm and as my body heat is rising from trudging through knee-deep mud and kind of carrying all this gear i start perspiring the, the waders didn't breathe so now I've, i'm I'm clammy all inside. As soon as we stop and the temperature drops, now I'm freezing, freezing cold because I got sweat all over me. I'm miserable. And all I could think about was I want to get back to the house and take a hot shower and sit in a chair and, and drink a cocktail. That's all I wanted to do or some coffee or something that was, was calming and soothing. And I, I, I don't remember anything else about that hunt except how cold and miserable I was because of those waiters. And there were, there were a couple other similar instances like that of using some piece of gear that I'd bought that was cheap. And then, and then you take time off work, you get up at three in the morning, you go do all of these things. And then instead of enjoying that experience, you're kind of suffering the experience and wanting it to end. And, um, at some point I was buying snake boots. So that was the next thing. And my wife was like, all right, just get the good ones. Cause number one, I want you to wear them all Be the time. Yeah. I want you to wear them all the time. But like, what you end up doing is you buy something and then you hate it and you complain about it when you get home. And eventually at some point you end up buying the better quality one. So just save us some money and some time and just wait and get the good one. And, um, and so her motto has always kind of been just buy once cry once. And it's true. I mean, I've got gear now that I've had for 15 years that is quality stuff that's been around and my kids will probably end up with it. Some heritage type stuff. And, and I think um, I think our society went from quality goods, you know, through the I don't know, maybe the '60s and even the '70s, or some somewhere in that period is where it changed to a, a stronger consumer model. Stuff started going overseas. There's quality control issues. Everybody was looking for a value brand, and um, and there's definitely things that yeah, save money by the by the cheaper unit. And even for our product, there are a lot of people who say, hey, I've got a $90 unit that I've had for 10 years, no problem. And I'm like, hey, if you like it, there's no reason to buy a pack mule. I'm not trying to convince you, but if you, 
if you hate yours and you wish there was a better one, there is an option out there. And, um, you know, all this um, uh, sort of plastic stuff that's going on right now with straws and cups and the consideration of, of plastics in the ocean and, you know, we've, we've become a disposable society, but there's the transition from disposable goods to, hey, yeah, let's buy this one thing. It'll last the rest of our life. Um, it won't end up in a landfill. You know, people that sort of, um, I, I, would, I would say it insanely, say, I could buy six of these others. And I'm like, do you really want to every two years throw one away and then buy another one? And then when you throw it away, it's just in a landfill. I'm sure you don't go recycle that metal thing. Um, and so there's kind of the steward part of what we're doing. And, and all of that goes back to some of my education and, and conservation management and those things. And so it was really important to me when we, um, for two reasons, when we were building it, um, one, I wanted to build it in the U.S. I just, I want to have U.S. stateside manufacturing. Um, I don't want to send jobs somewhere else. Not because I don't care about people overseas or don't think that it's worth them having a job. Uh, that's, you know, maybe better quality than whatever else would exist over there. But um, um, if you go to a foreign factory, there's not EPA standards, right? There's not the safety contingent. People don't think about that. They think, just go build it in China, right? But if you've ever been to a China factory and you see people that are in, like, torn up clothes or they're not really, their shoe quality isn't all that, uh, impressive um, safety glasses, you know, coming from a construction society, safety is a, a huge concern for me. And I would never want to think that somebody by an accident got hurt building a pack mule so somebody else could have it, you know. Um, and so I, I love that we build it in Texas and, and our guys have all the proper safety equipment that they need. Um, you know, we're managing the, the exhaust and EPA and all the different um, safety requirements that that uh that the u.s has in place and you know we're not in a california standard obviously but we definitely are doing things um a lot better than, than the way they could be and the great thing is that we're um aluminum you know there's like 75 percent of or maybe it's 80 percent of aluminum that was ever produced is still in circulation today so there's a recyclability content to it you know when we cut um our pipe uh for different risers and, and footers and stuff all those shavings go into a box and those shavings get poured back in and they get made into more pipe. Um, nothing gets wasted. Everything gets reused. Um, and so by result, our product is about 70, 75% recycled content, um, which I think is awesome. You know, we're not, we're not out digging aluminum out of the ground every single day to, to build this stuff. Um, you know, we're working through some packaging right now. Um, our boxes are, are, you know, I think they're 35% recycled because there's some some challenge with doing more than that on cardboard and it falling apart or something. Um, but we don't have a plastic wrap. Um, we had some foam inside of it for a little bit, and we realized, hey, these things are structural. You're not going to hurt these things if you drop them. Um, we are looking at coating the boxes a little bit and doubling up the size of them just to give a little more protection. But um, just trying to do our part, you know, it, when I – when I went from, I have this thing, people are asking me about it, and I'm going to do a, a company, there were kind of two things I wanted to accomplish. One was I want to inspire people to load and go. I want people to get to our national and state parks. I want people to go see something new, get out from in front of a video game, um, 
and even a book, you know, one, two of my daughters read voraciously and one of them more than the other. And we'll be in Colorado or someplace and she's reading a book. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm telling you, I'm frustrated by the fact you're reading a book, but we're going to go on a hike and go, you're going to go see something. You're going to go learn about yourself. You're going to go do something that's going to challenge yourself. And, um, and I think, I think that's important. I think it's something that's being lost. You know, we become urban dwellers and it's easy to be afraid of things that you don't know. And so, um, like bugs don't bother me. I don't, you know, people say, Oh, there's a wasp next to your head. I don't care. It's not going to just fly over and sting me. He's not mad at me. As long as I don't, you know, hit him or something by mistake, he's, he's going to leave me alone. He's just checking it out. Um, but it's, it's not knowing something that sort of causes us to be afraid or, or what have you. And so, um, so inspiring people, getting them out, building them the right way uh, in a way that is being a good steward of our resources and our environment. Um, you know, the other thing about building stateside is we're now not shipping it from overseas to then distribute it. So there's all of the, what, you know, whatever greenhouse gases uh, that would measure out to from having to ship containers and stuff over. And then, um, uh, what was the other thing? Recycled. Uh, oh, I know that if people go, um, and you appreciate something, you're going to want to conserve it, um, protect it, you know, whether it's a state park or some other piece of land. Um, you know, our resources just get sapped and ruined and destroyed. And I think there's a lot of people that are recognizing this plastic thing. Um, but there's a whole group of people that um, don't, don't realize that everything that they consume affects wildlife, development, the ecosystem. And so, um, I know if people that love it, they're going to want to conserve it. They're going to care about it. Yeah. I've really found that just being around the hunting community until you get into it, you don't understand the conservation nature of that community. Typically the people just don't look at them as conservationists because they are hunting, but right. really those folks are paying through fees and just, you know, through what they, the gear they use, um, to, to conserve land, to make habitats better, to watch populations, to not overhunt. Yeah. It's really a community of, you know, folks that want to pursue that passion of hunting. They're taken serious. Well, I want to do this the rest of my life. Right. And if I mess that up, I can't do that. Um, and I like, and you know, I personally enjoy having nice gear that is going to last a long time that I do buy once. Um, there's definitely that population out there that's, that wants to say, Hey, this thing was, has a really cool story. Cool guy builds this. I enjoy supporting local people, man. Yeah, it might cost an extra few dollars, but look at all the good that it's going for doing those products. And I, um, I personally like that and seeing products like Pack Mule, and I look for things like that. And there's a lot of people that do too that sure. appreciate that. This is just you know it's a quality gear and it's going to be around for a long time. Earlier, I love the term you said about load and go. I think that's such a great, uh, just quick way to think about instead of spending too much time figuring out what I'm going to do, yeah. just load and go. Right. There's, we live in Texas. Um, there's a ton of state parks around here. Most people don't know about the Lone Star hiking trail, which is the longest trail in Texas. And it's just North of Houston. It's a hundred mile hiking trail. Me and my daughter did a one night camping deal over there. First time we had done the camp out in the middle of the forest and just sit down and go to sleep there and build yeah. your tent. But I tell people all the time, like, what are you talking? What's the Lone Star hiking trail? Yeah. And there's so many things, even where we are, and anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you really sit down and think about, there's a state park around you. Yeah. 
that you can spend a day at, you can spend the night at, national park, um, even different private ranches that are open to the public as well. And just this idea of, hey, we've got this equipment, it can be a pack meal, it can be whatever it is, load it up and just go. That's right. Don't think about it. That's just right. Just go. Yeah. Just I, get I think somewhere. that's great. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you're two and a half years into this and it's slowly just becoming, um, building up more. For, for people who are, you know, thinking about going through that idea of, hey, I want to start a product and, or I want to build something, what, what are, what would you tell people? Cause it's, you know, I'm a year into doing something where I'm trying to start a, you know, basically a clothing brand and it's not easy. There's a lot of road bumps in the way, frustrations. Um, what, what do you tell people to, if they ask you like, man, how'd you do that? Um, I think for everything in life, you know, everything's new until you've done it. Right. I mean, People ask, how did you learn how to work on a car? Well, I was 16 and I had a Bronco that broke down all the time. I couldn't afford to pay somebody, so I got a Chilton's manual. You know, I figure if any, if somebody can do it, I can do it. You know, just read the instructions. And um, and I think it's that way with a new job, right? You take a new job, um, maybe it's a an advanced role, maybe it's with a different company. You don't quite know what's going to happen, but you just try it. You've, I think, with a product or trying to launch something, you've just got to put your foot forward. Just Take the first step. Don't worry about the big picture. People, I think, too often get overwhelmed with what's going to happen in three years. Um, how am I going to sell these things? For me, it was just, all right, I got this product. Let's um, see if we can find a manufacturer that will build this, get some price costing. That doesn't, it doesn't cost you anything to send them a sketch and get some rough cost estimates and, and try to find a manufacturer. And then kind of work backwards and get an engineer now that you've got a manufacturer and you figure that the price might work out. You don't need to spend money at first necessarily. Um, I think it's I think brand is important, but I think you've got to have a quality product too. Um, and so, you know, it was first important to make sure that the product was right. And then you start thinking, what are you going to call this product? And so the easy way was just to, you know, start thinking through stuff that carries, right? And so you think of beasts of burden and you think of hikers and all these different things. And, and inevitably, you just send out an email to a bunch of buddies with a list of names and get votes, right? <laughs> well, you have the best name for this product. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. It's really good. Um, and then, um, uh, but yeah, so for anybody that's wanting to try something, you just you just got to do it. Just take the first step and, and figure it out and, and don't worry about, you know, well, I've got a full-time job now and what am I going to do? And am I going to sell enough? And do I need to get a website right away? And don't worry about all that stuff. Just figure out how to, how to make this thing. And in, in most cases, if it's a very raw idea, there's some different design firms out there that can, you know, or they're mechanical or industrial engineers that can, can help you walk through the design, at least conceptually, that doesn't have to cost you a bunch of money. Um, you know, to really flesh out a design, though, it can cost you, you know, 5000 bucks or 10000 bucks or something like that. And then those guys can help you find manufacturers as well. So just pull the trigger, just one foot in front of the other. I've told people that have just asked me personally, my thing is, I was like, it's never easier to start a business than it is today. The access to information, um, if you are going, you know, web-based sales, the ability to set up a website, connect it to all your different payment systems, all that stuff, it's all so much easier than it was even five years ago yeah, or 10 years ago. So I think it's, we're in the best time ever yeah, to I agree start a business. So when you look at Pack Mule, um, 
what what's the future hold in terms of um, and not to give away secrets of new products coming sure. out, but is the plan to hey we've got this carrier and maybe we can you know build off that and things like that? Yeah, we've got we've got other accessories uh, that we're we're pretty close on on one of them um, just in that load and go sort of thought, and I'm happy to share it on the podcast. But an aluminum uh, dry box, you know, large in size, you can you might have three of these in your garage. They're on a shelf, and you've got one that's a bunch of camping equipment. You maybe have one that if you're a mountain biker, you've got a bunch of mountain biking equipment. Um, maybe one of them's got some hunting equipment, or maybe you got a box with a bunch of fly fishing or fishing equipment in it. The idea is that, hey, it's Friday. You just grab the box for whatever this activity is that you're going to do, throw it on the pack mule, strap it down, and take off. Um, you know, we've got a couple uh, old camping boxes where we had um, sleeping bags and uh, or sheets or just real basic food and amenity type things that you would need if you were on the road. And, and um, so having some smaller boxes like that in the future um, just – kind of trying to make it easy. And then we've got a bunch of ideas that that yeah, I don't necessarily want to talk about right now, but oh, that's yeah, bigger that. ideas where, um, you know, we just want to make it accessible. So how can you have all of these things that you love to go do? If you're going to go to a national park, what are the other things you want to take and how do you carry them? And um, how do they fit with the pack mule and, um, uh, you know, right now I would say that, or it, our main focus was kind of the hook and bullet community, you know, the hunting fishing community. Um, these were the types of folks that had a lot of gear and they were trying to go families were, were sort of the fall off from that. Most of these folks that were doing that also had a family and they realized they needed to use it. Um, but we want to reach other folks, you know, we want to reach, um, different sort of adventure lifestyle, uh, folks and, and, um, and help, get them good gear that they're excited about and, you know, a brand that maybe they can get behind that they believe in and hopefully a cool logo that they slap a bunch of stickers all over the place. <laughs> it's a very cool logo. And I'm just from a, me being a weekend family camper in Texas. Um, that's the, the perfect system for carrying gear. Um, if that's, if that's all you do is just camp, you don't have to hunt and fish. You're, right. you're going to want something like this to, to be able to carry. Also notice that your belt is one of your, uh, straps. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> So when we, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of people miss that, but, um, our mule straps are a cam buckle system. And so when we, when I designed pack mule, I'd found some cam straps a long time ago and back to not liking ratchet straps and bungees. Um, I wanted this hookless system and it was so easy, but nobody had really made one that, that felt solid. Um, you know, there were the motorcycle cams that, um, were pretty big, but they were, or excuse me, they were pretty good, but they were really big. And so I found a real stiff stiff polyester webbing and then a full stainless steel buckles so and not just a stainless steel spring um, so that the whole buckle system will, will stay rust free and functional regardless of what kind of stuff's coming off the back of your car. Um, the idea again, make it easy to strap down your stuff and, um, and take off. And so it, you know, it literally takes a second or two to, to wrap a pack a mule strap around your pack mule and your gear and, and cinch it down. And it doesn't slip at all. As the webbing pulls on the teeth, the buckle just gets tighter. So um, when we tested it, it broke at 2,000 pounds, didn't slip at all. And um, and I realized at some point as I was strapping stuff down, I'm like, you could kind of wear this as a belt. So I wear it all the time. And it's actually, it's actually like the best accessory that I think that I carry around. You know, you carry a pocket knife, which is, is typically sort of, you know, the outdoorsman's, 
tool of choice, right? You can kind of do anything and live or whatever. Um, but having a strap that you can do all sorts of stuff with around your waist at all times, it looks good. It's kind of functional. Um, I was elk hunting a year and a half ago when I was in the woods and, uh, um, had shot an elk was coming down a deep ravine afterwards. It was getting dark and there were all these felled trees everywhere. And, and, uh, I had no light because my bag was up at the top by this elk. I was trying to get back to flat ground where, where we could get out and then come back in the morning and carry this thing out. And, um, I thought at some point I'm going to, I'm going to fall on one of these felled trees and I'm going to impale myself and that's it. I'm, I'm going to be done, you know, and I'm, I'm really thinking through this and I've got all of this adrenaline that causes you to change your plan, you know, like, well, maybe I should just go up to this ridge and that'll be better. And there's a little bit more light up there. All those emotions that you have to fight through and you've read all these books on how to sort of deal with that. And I remember at one point thinking, oh, wait, I've got, I guess, worst case scenario, I've got my mule straps. I could use it as a tourniquet if I fell or broke my leg or something happened like that and I need a tourniquet. And, um, and after the seriousness of the situation sort of waned, um, I realized that's actually a really good use. And so now we've got these different field tips on our packaging. And so I think the one right now is field tip number three and it's a tourniquet. And it's got an arm with like blood squirting off of it and a strap around it. <laughs> I mean, every guy needs multiple straps. I think so. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, I appreciate, um, you sitting down today and talking about this. If folks want to learn more about pack mule, where do they go? You know, um, websites are always easy, packmule.com and it's uh, P A K M U L E.com. And, um, we've got a pretty good social media uh, presence. So if you go to Instagram, you can type in pack mule and you'll find us, but our handle is technically pack mule gear, P A K M U L E G E A R, uh, which alludes to some of the other stuff we're going to start coming out with. And, um, of course we're on Facebook, same pack mule gear. Uh, we don't do so much on Twitter. We do have a Twitter account, but I'm not one to tell you that I'm driving and then I'm welding something. And, uh, I just prefer to use pictures. I think they're worth a thousand words and my words are usually pretty limited. <laughs> pictures do it best. Well, I appreciate your time today. Um, this has been a good conversation to learn more about what you're doing with pack mule how you got there and just, you know, for folks that want to load and go. Thank you very yeah. much. Thanks, Daniel. This is a big time. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the sign out podcast. Make sure you check out pack mules website. It's packmule.com. That's P A K M U L E.com. And if you could please leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts, that would really help us out. We'd really appreciate it. Also, check out our original design t-shirts at signoutco.com. Today's episode was produced by Daniel Thornton and myself, Caleb J. Murphy. I also did the music, and you can hear more at calebjmurphy.com. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.